0: My name is Adam, one of the pastors here, and uh, this morning, um, we are going, um, on this Resurrection Sunday, we're going to be doing something a little different. We're going to be in Romans. That's a joke, because it's not different. Um, we've been going through Romans for quite a while, and, um, you know, it, it is absolutely perfectly timed that the passage that we would find ourselves in at this point in our study in Romans would fall in a day like today as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what that means for us and what that says about us. So I'm going to read to you um, from the end of Romans chapter 8 and put it up on the screen. And then if you have a Bible, you can read along, or you can follow the words that are going to be up there on the screen with us. Romans 8, starting in verse 31, Paul writes this to the church in Rome. What then shall we say to these things? For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen to that. Paul opens this passage with a question, what shall we say to these things? What shall we say in response to this? Paul has just spent eight chapters writing the most comprehensive explanation of the good news of the gospel to the church in Rome, um, a good church, a strong church, a church full of believers. He's been explaining to them like who God created us to be, why this world is the way it is, who God is, and what that matters, how that matters for us. How it is that we're supposed to live, why we can't live that way, what it looks like to be in rebellion to him, what it looks like to try to justify ourselves through all these other ways of living, and then ultimately why Jesus had to pay uh, the penalty for our sins, had to die on the cross, and why it is such good news to us that he is resurrected, that we get to live in him in the spirit and the power of God because of what Jesus has done, not because of anything that we've done. After all of this, after spelling this out in incredible detail to a church full of people who, of anyone, should be able to appreciate it for what it means and what it says for them, Paul asks one question here. What then shall we say to these things? You know, I think we would like to believe... That uh, when we ask that question, even on a day like today, here we are celebrating uh, the greatest thing that has happened in the history of the universe, which is the resurrection of Christ, what that means for us. It's a big deal. It's a big thing. That's why we're here. We would like to believe that if we ask the question, what then shall we say about these good things, that we would say such big stuff. But I think, in all honesty, and I don't think it's that different for the church in Rome, the response of most to that question is, good, I guess. Okay, sure. That's great. That's nice. Nah. Or historically speaking, what most have said, which is, no Thanks. What then shall we say to these amazing things, says excited Paul, because he's excited because it's a big deal and we should all be excited too. As much as we want to believe that we would be as excited as Paul is, the reality is the majority of people, and even many of us, when we're honest, would say, I probably should be a little more excited about this than I am. I probably should feel like a little bit more of my life hinges on some of the things that Paul is talking about here in this big explanation of the gospel. Thanks for sharing, Paul. That's nice. This is supposed to be really good news, but for many of us, it just doesn't matter as much as it should. In fact, it starts to feel kind of like when you're up late and you're changing channels, and you hear those words, those faithful words that come only late at nights when there's nothing else on, are you tired of dot, dot, dot? You change the channels, you turn on a commercial. Are you tired of standing in front of the stove stirring pots all the time? Studies in America have shown that uh, Americans will spend half of their life wasted stirring things in pots. Okay. Frustrated uh, stock image and footage of, of people, like, oh, all this stirring messes all over the kitchen. You know, I can't believe it. I'm tired of this, right? As you watch some advertisement for something that you're like, I don't think I need that thing. I'm not sure we needed that thing. It doesn't necessarily feel like we needed that thing. They're very excited about it. In fact, they seem to be trying very hard to convince me that my entire, all my problems in life would go away if I just had whatever this thing is. But in the end, it's like, I'm not really sure that I need that. I'm not really sure how I feel about that. I think if we're honest, this question, what do we say about these things? What do we say about this stuff? Uh, The stuff we're here to celebrate and talk about. It should be this earth-shattering thing, maybe, but in reality, it falls upon us and lands on us almost like like an advertisement for some product that we uh, are like, I'm not really totally sure how much I really need that. There are so many products out there that were invented and probably didn't need to be invented. Uh, I think I guess that's something that's wonderful about America is that we can invent anything right you can invent anything some things will take off uh, Other things won't I think probably one of the best examples of this is something that I saw on Amazon years ago, and it's this (laughs) It's a banana slicer You may have seen this you may have heard about this You'll notice there are 6,800 ratings for this banana slicer. And the reason there are 6,800 ratings, after this, I encourage you when you're hanging out with your family to just pull up Amazon and enjoy the creative writing that has been used in in, in these reviews. Because uh, what it is, is person after person after person sort of mocking the fact that this thing doesn't need to exist, right? Like, I waited and waited. I've been cutting my bananas wrong all my life. For years, my parole officer refused to let me have a knife to cut my bananas with. For years, I've been throwing bananas into ceiling fans, and what a mess it's made. Uh, Or the people who write the reviews with one star that say, Unfortunately, all of my bananas curve the wrong way. There are so many things like this that we come across, and people are just so excited about them, and they are trying to convince us that they matter so much to our lives. And uh, when we're honest, we'd have to say, I'm not sure how much that really seems relevant to me. And, and, and with, oh, by the way, um, there, are, there are pot stirrers, by the way. Um, there are things that you can buy that will stir what's in a pot so that you can finally have freedom. And you can finally... There's this one, and then there's actually this one, which apparently just lives in your pot and spins around and does, does that. So there you go, guys. Just wanted to let you know that. If you learned anything this morning, it's that. I do think in some ways this is the dilemma of... What we read about in Paul's words, and even the the dilemma of a day like Easter. Something that we probably feel like we should be more excited about, but when we stop and we think about it, we oftentimes go, why exactly is this this earth-shattering thing for me in my life? Do I really feel that way about this? Or is this just a thing that people get excited about, that we get excited about? I think that Paul knew this. There's a reason that he begins with the same this question, and he begins to make this argument um, for what it is that we should be thinking about after all of this stuff. Uh, what Paul says at the end of his passage here, and it's so important, he he goes through um, all of these, these things that can be lost and these terrible things that can happen to us, and where he ends is this. He says uh, that nothing at all, I'll just save you some time, nothing at all will be able to separate us. Nothing in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul says, there is no better news than this, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It seems to be that all of what Paul's saying is hinging on this one very important thing, which is this, that the love of God is the most important thing that can exist in your life. That's the only reason to celebrate the way Paul's celebrating. You would not celebrate, you would not be as happy and excited as Paul uh, if you did not see and recognize that the love of God is the most important thing in your life. Is it possible that there might be a a connection between how hard it is for us to sometimes get excited about this stuff and maybe the question, uh, what if the love of God isn't the most important thing, the thing that defines me in my life? God has created each and every one of us to be something truly incredible. He has Planted these seeds within us that are things like our and and as they blossom as they grow and they bloom uh, wonderful things come from them our personality our gifts our passions our convictions But these things that God puts inside of us cannot grow they cannot flourish and be what God intends them to be without his love unless you are living in God's love whatever that means These things can't really flourish. You can't really be who God's intended and created for you to be. What does it mean to live in God's love? I'll make it as simple as I possibly can. It means that how God sees you and what he says about you defines who you are. If I am living in God's love, then how he sees me, what he says about me, defines who I am. It is the basis of my whole identity. If I'm living in God's love, then the things that he has, has created within me will grow up and will flourish in such a way as he designed and intended for them too. Now, most of us just sort of go about living our lives based on something other than God's love. We kind of try to do the best we can without God's love uh, because we don't really understand it or we somehow make the mistake of, of thinking that because maybe we learned the names of the, Bible, the books of the Bible or maybe some of the fruit of the Spirit or maybe because we went to, to youth group or, or we go to youth group or, or maybe just because we uh, have attended a church before or maybe we celebrate Easter, uh, we, we go, okay, I understand God's love for me, I, uh, that's fine, I'm, but, but, but I'm going to need more than that. I'm going to need more than that to live my life. So we spend our lives looking to kind of flourish as people with other things in mind. We become more and more attached to uh, the things that we're trying to develop in ourselves, to the things that we like in the world, um, to other stuff, basically. And that begins to define who I am. That begins to be what tells me who I am and what is true about me, what is true about the world around me. So other than God's love defining us, to make us happy and satisfied, to give us purpose, to make us feel like we matter, our ambitions, our gifts, our image, our reputation, and for many of us, it could be a lot simpler than that, just the comfort of a well-built life ends up being that which we live for. We invest ourselves in these things, we build our lives on these things, not necessarily the love of God itself itself. And as we do that, we just kind of look around and see that most other people seem to be doing that, and and then we just go, okay, that's just kind of the way life is supposed to be. This is why the only way to possibly understand how to live our lives is to look at someone like Jesus, to say, how did Jesus live? What did he do? How did he make sense of all this stuff? And one of the things that we see when we look at the life of Jesus is one of the earliest things that happened to him um, was he was... Taken out to the desert. He went out to the desert to pray and be with God. This is before he started going around healing people and doing all kinds of crazy stuff and even talking about the kingdom of God and everything else. Before he had any disciples and he did anything amazing, any of the stuff that we often talk about, for any of that, Jesus just went out to the desert to be alone. And it says he was tempted by the enemy, by Satan. Jesus went out to the desert to be tempted by Satan And why does that matter so much for us? Because he was tempted with the exact same things, all of the things that we would probably build our lives on other than the love of God. It's kind of normal. That's kind of what we do. There's a reason that when Satan tempts him, he tempts him with three different things. The first thing he says to him is he says, "Uh, take these stones and make them into bread which essentially speaks to this idea of if you do something, just Jesus, Satan says to me, he says, just do, do something significant and everyone will see how powerful you are and everyone will see how good you are and God will love you and the people will respond to you and all of the things that you want in life will happen if you just do something now, right here, right now, you totally can do it that matters, that really distinguishes you. What am I doing that matters? What kind of a difference am I making that matters? What can I be proud of that I can put my name on that matters? When other people look at me, what do they see? Because it needs to matter. He then tempts him and says to him, you know, look around at all of this and just say the word and it will be yours. People will bow down to you and this will all be yours. He speaks specifically to, to like having things, to actually just possessing the world. And he says, Jesus, you have the power within you to actually possess whatever it is that you want, which is the other lie that we believe. We go, other than God's love, honestly, I'm trying to figure this all out, how to make life make sense in this place. Uh, the only thing that I can think of to make any sense of it is just um, if I maybe have the right stuff, honestly, if I just can get a few things and kind of be comfortable and I don't need much, I don't need much, uh, just enough to kind of be comfortable because why, why would God you know, put me here if he didn't want me to you know, be happy and comfortable, the people around me to be comfortable? And so maybe if I just get the right things, maybe if I just buy the right things and can earn enough money to do the right things, then maybe, maybe uh, it'll be enough. And the last way that he tempts Jesus is he says, throw yourself down from here and show everyone how miraculous you really are. At the end, he appeals to Jesus, saying to him, what other people think of you, the way other people view you, the opinions of other people, is ultimately what matters the most, Jesus. And if you just do what I'm suggesting that you do, then you will be loved. People will look at you, and be so impressed and so happy. But none of this stuff works, and it doesn't work because something happened right before the temptation in the desert. Something happened that kind of put Jesus in a place where none of the stuff that the enemy said to him could touch him. It was when Jesus, right before this, was being baptized, and it says after he was baptized, this one specific thing. We read this in Matthew 3.17, And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. This person who has not healed a single person, who hasn't done anything of note, uh, who has just been living life, being pretty quiet, keeping to himself, this person who hasn't given anyone a reason to think they're amazing, who hasn't used his Jesus powers to create some amazing, comfortable stuff for himself or his family or people around him. No, this person who hasn't done the great, amazing things that we think of, God says to him and of him, this is my son whom I'm loved with whom I'm well pleased. What we see here says everything to us about the way the love of God works the love of God is in no way dependent on any of those other things, which is crazy to us. Jesus knew this. Jesus knew that God loved him so much, not because of any of these other things that he would do. And because he knew that God loved him that much, then all of the temptation and everything that the enemy threw at him had no effect. He said, I don't need any of that stuff in order to be okay because I know that God loves me and I know that I can be exactly who God calls me to be I know that I am exactly who God says that I am and I trust that because I don't have to do anything to prove this to you Satan or in our case much of the time to me it's not a huge surprise that a lot of what uh, Paul talks about the language he uses has to do with he says it right here, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn, right? The language that Paul uses here almost sounds like somebody on trial, somebody who's being accused of something. And there's a reason for that because Christians at the time are being persecuted. They're living in all kinds of difficult situations. But at the same time, this very thing of being on trial, this, this thing of having to justify, of having to defend ourselves, why do I matter at all? Why? What do I have to show in my life, in my relationships, in the way people see me, in, 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 in any of this? How can I possibly prove that I'm doing okay and that I'm okay and that I matter? This is why it matters so much when these words are said of Jesus, why this matters so much for us. this is what it means to live in the love of god this is what it means for us but it's such a foreign concept to us it's so hard to believe hey it may be possible that uh that at this point in time after a rough couple of years collectively for everybody that many of us are in a place where we're starting to realize that a lot of the things that we did think made us good made us who we were that we could focus on and invest in and care about with our lives as those things fell away or failed us or let us down or we all kind of collectively realized man this is a mess around here even more than i thought it might have been before that rather than feeling like we're hopeless and in despair we can actually say you know maybe maybe there should be something else that tells me who i am other than all this stuff i was watching a movie and in the movie there was a celebrity And he said this line, he said, during the pandemic I realized that we're all the same and I thought I was special and that's all I got. But I'm not, I'm not. (laughs) He said, I thought I was special and then this pandemic happened and I realized everyone's the same and I'm not special as I thought I was and I don't even know what to do with that anymore. So what Paul says is he says, this great thing, the love of God, which is the source of, of who you are and who you are meant to be, It is the foundation for everything else in a life that is good, that is meaningful, that matters. He says there's all these things that are going to come against you in life. In fact, one might argue Paul starts to sound a little paranoid It literally seems like he's looking around him, going, uh, This, this, uh, charges, uh, accusations, condemnation, tribulation, persecution, distress, famine, nakedness, sword, danger. He says, Death. Then he starts to say things that don't make sense. Life? What? How's life against me? What are you talking about? How's life gonna get in the way? Angels? What? Angels? They're supposed to be good rulers okay not like rulers rulers like measuring but like you know they call them principalities in some other translations right people in charge powers people with authority then he starts getting into geography height depth like is he a bad kid at math and he's just like don't get me started with like measuring things because that can come against you no he's saying literally everything in the world it seems paul is saying can be a problem in your life, can be a bad thing in your life. How on earth is that true? Is this guy just nuts and paranoid? And if so, then should we be listening to him? No, what Paul is doing is he is listening off. He says, ultimately, anything in creation at all. Paul, man, take it easy. It's not that bad. What Paul is saying is he's saying, for a person who is living in God's love, These things, nothing. Well, what he's saying is this. He's saying everything in the world, everything in your life, even the things that are good can get in the way. Even the things that are good can seem like they're against you. Even the things that are good can actually start to work against you and make you make it harder or make things worse. How is that possible? Because none of the things in our lives, none of the things in all of creation was meant to be what the love of God is. And so, when those things begin to matter more than they're supposed to, when we begin to build who we are on those things, then what happens? is they can ultimately start to make our lives hard. They can start to make our lives difficult. The things that you're not supposed to need, you need all of a sudden. You know what it's like to be in a relationship with somebody who needs the relationship just a little too much, and you're like, that's ruining things for me. You know what it's like to know a person who needs their job just a little bit too much. You might have learned that over the last couple of years that you need your job a little bit more than you thought you did. You might know somebody who needs their money and their stuff a little bit more than they're willing to admit. Who needs their kids more than they want to admit. Maybe who needs their parents more than they want to admit. Anything in creation, even the good things, can ultimately be things that get in the way, it seems, that can harm us. How is that possible? How can all those things be things in life that make it hard? What Paul is speaking to is exactly what it feels like to be a person who really understands what's going on around them and in their own lives. Sometimes it feels like everything is against me. Sometimes it feels like even the things that I thought were the good things can lead to pain in my life. Or I even look at myself and I say, I seem to have the ability to take things that are good and kind of wreck them. Or I don't seem to know how to handle the things that are bad as well as I thought I did. Everything, says Paul, it seems, can be against you. And he kind of seems to be implying that it is. Everything can be against you. But the good news, says Paul, is this. If God is for us, who can be against us? The good news of the gospel is this. That if you understand how much the love of God matters for who you are and how you are intended to live, how God created you to live. If you understand how much the love of God matters, then you will understand that because of what Jesus did, what we celebrate today, because of what he did, why is this such a big deal? Why is this such good news? Because you can actually live in the love of God, even though you don't deserve it, even though you haven't done anything to earn it. And rather than believe the lie that you just have to do certain things or be a certain way or deal with certain things in order to justify love, in order to justify God's love, in order to earn, in order to finally get to a place that's good. The good news of the gospel, the good news of Easter, the good news of Resurrection Sunday is that because of Jesus defeating death, God is for you. And if God is for you, Nothing can be against you. And if everything feels like it's against you, nothing is against you. The good news, says Paul, is simple. It is this. You are more than conquerors because God himself has conquered everything that has come up against you and him. Uh, This word conquering, it's it's to just defeat something in such a way that it's like there was no contest It's when someone or something is completely and overwhelmingly victorious. There is no competition. It is not an even fight. God has conquered these things. And because of that, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are the ones who benefit from what he has conquered and what he has done. God is for you. Do you believe it? This is harder for us to believe, many of us, than we often want to think. Why wouldn't I want to believe that God is for me? Why wouldn't I want to believe that God is for others? Why does that just seem unrealistic to me? Well, if you spend much of your life believing that you have to build your identity, that you have to build everything on this other stuff that you have to do and live out and accomplish and figure out and earn, then it doesn't seem like God could be for you yet, right? God will be for me if I do this with my life. God will be for me if I finally can get over this thing in my life. God will be for me if, dot, dot, dot. But the good news of the gospel is God is for you. He is. One of the biggest churches in America, or maybe the biggest, I don't know, Lakewood Church, Joel Osteen's church, a massive church, meeting the Astrodome, okay. It's a prosperity gospel church, which basically means that the, the message that is said there is, is if you uh, follow God, if you do these certain things, God will reward you right, which is not really the gospel and it is not what the Bible says. There's parts of it in there. But we oftentimes get frustrated with with pastors like this, with people who have messages like this. And we get so frustrated with it because we see parts of the Bible but not the rest of it. And and we say, that's not right. That's not theologically correct. and And it isn't the gospel, which is true. It isn't the gospel. But what we often fail to ask, the question that we're sometimes even afraid to ask, if we're honest, is why on earth are so many people responding to that. I mean, if the promise is, do these things and God will reward you. Is, do we believe that God's probably giving everyone millions of dollars for doing those things? No, I don't think so. In fact, if I know anything about God or what the Bible actually says, I think, uh, no, that's not how it works. In fact, I'm pretty sure it's not going to work that way. It doesn't seem like it worked that way for Jesus or his disciples or things like that. So like, we, I have reason to believe that like, uh, if you listen to that, then uh, it won't work out for you and you probably won't go back the next week. But people do. And you probably won't go back maybe after a couple months, and yet people still do. Is it possible that what that says to us is not that the message that's being proclaimed in a place like that is correct, but what it is that people, that we are so desperate to hear? And what is it that many of us are so desperate to hear? Is it possible that it is simply those words, God is for you? I mean, honestly, if I think about turning on the TV and I'm not watching a banana slicer commercial or infomercial and I'm not looking at ordering Ginsu knives, I'm probably turning over to some televangelists. These are the, these are the things I obsess over when I have access to cable TV. And I would imagine turning one on and a pastor with a $10,000 suit and alligator shoes and capped teeth saying, God is for you. And I think, I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure if that's right. It's God for everybody. Do people need to be hearing that or do we need to be hearing other things? I'm here to tell you this morning, the good news of the gospel is, that's it. God is for you. He loves you. He created you. He has huge plans for you. He wants for you to be able to live in him so that you can be the person that he created you to be. And he has even made a way for you to do it because he knows you can't do it on your own. Some of us here this morning, we know all these things that Paul has said. We've maybe even said them to other people before, but we don't believe that God is for us. We simply believe that if we do the right things, we become the right kind of person, then God will be for us. But that is not what we read about in the Bible. Some of us are here this morning, we know all these things that Paul said, and we don't feel a connection to these words. They feel kind of irrelevant to us. They feel like like we're supposed to be getting excited about them, but we have a hard time doing that. And it's possible that hearing that God is for you isn't new information. But the problem is that living in the love of God just seems like this abstract, weird concept. Something that you think is for super emotional people or people who are extra needy or something. You think, I'm not like that. Some of us are here this morning and you're saying, if you knew my life, if you knew what I had done, if you knew what I've been through, you would, need, you would not be so quick to say with such certainty that God is for me because he isn't for me. He might be for other people, but he isn't for me. The good news of the gospel is this. It is that Jesus uh, died when he didn't have to. And he was resurrected, which means he overcame uh, the greatest thing that could ever come against us, which is death. And that in overcoming death through the resurrection, which we celebrate today, we have the ability to be the children of God once again. And that if we can trust and have faith and believe, that that's all that it takes. Because that's what faith is. Faith is believing that Jesus and what he did on the day that we celebrate it, like today, that that's it. That if we believe and we trust and we stop trying to do it with all these other things, that we can be a part of God's family yet again, that we can live in God's love and we know that God is for us. God is for you no matter what you're into in life, no matter what position you're in, no matter what you've done, no matter how much you love or hate, any of what you're hearing right now, God is for you. And I think a lot of us need to hear that a lot more often. But there's a difference between God being for you and you not yet responding in faith and trusting in Jesus and God being for you and you actually living in the power of that. Paul asks the question, what shall we say to these things? The hope is that we would be jumping up and down, singing with joy, celebrating the fact that the greatest thing that has ever been done has been done. But let's not make the mistake of assuming. That we all feel that way automatically. Let's ask the question instead, do I believe that God is for me? Do I believe that his love is actually what I must be living in and through more than any of these other things? Do I believe that in Jesus, that what God says about me before I've accomplished anything else in my life is This is my child. I love them. And then am I well pleased. Would you pray with me? Father, it's so great to get to this point in Romans, after we've spent so long looking at what the gospel is, that we finally get to a point where Paul celebrates that because of the death and resurrection of your son Jesus, that we are more than conquerors in how we live. Why do people get so excited today? Why do we get so excited today? Because of what it means. Because we are people who live as more than conquerors, that in a world where almost everything can come against us, almost anything can go bad, or even the things that we love the most are things that we can lose. Father, we are more than conquerors because you are for us and you have conquered it all. God, we can say those words again and again and again and still not believe them. So I pray that through your Holy Spirit that you would overwhelm each and every one of us this morning with a sense of just how much you love us, how little we need to do to earn it from you, and that we would go away living in gratitude, Lord. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.